You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for Thursday, February 29th, episode 3376. Happy Leap Day, folks! To celebrate, we're bringing you a mashup show highlighting popular episodes of Horse Tip Daily, hosted by our very own Coach Jen. In today's episode, we're covering the following bite-sized tips and discussions. Is your horse bending correctly? Focusing on forward obstacles, stocking up or stagnation edema, and using acupuncture on competition horses. Be sure to like and subscribe to Horse Tip Daily wherever you get your podcasts and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1472. Today's episode is an excerpt from the Dressage Radio Show featuring Lauren Spreiser with a great visual, yes, a visual on an audio podcast of what bend is and what it isn't. And I'd like to say thank you to Spalding Fly Predators, sponsor of today's show. to talk today about bend because bend is a really oh it's fine oft misunderstood concept I think first let's get some vocabulary down bend is in the horse's ribs bend is primarily in the horse's ribs it is the horse contracting the abdominal and top-line muscles on one side to wrap the horse's abdomen, basically, around the rider's leg. Flexion is the position of the pole. And as a result, a little bit the neck into or away from the direction of travel. I can have inside bend with very little inside flexion. But it is extremely easy to have flexion with no bend. And where I think the great majority of my students get bum-fuzzled is that they think bend is in the neck or They think that by taking the horse's neck to the inside, that is sufficient, bless you, for bend. And this is both inside and outside, by the way, but it is very easy to pull on the reins. It is a lot less easy to create bend around the leg. And so people pull on the reins and that's that. So now let's talk about how we ask for bend. Let's talk about how we ask for inside bend, simply because that'll clarify the language. Inside bend is simply putting your inside leg on and asking the horse to lift 
the inside rib cage up into the inside butt cheek, the rider's inside butt cheek, inside hip, inside thigh. If you imagine being on the ground, lying on your side, and doing an oblique sit-up, your upper body comes off of the floor towards the ceiling by compressing your inside rib cage towards your inside hip. That's pretty easy when your outside is on the floor because you can't bow your outside down into the hard surface of the floor. What is easy for a horse to do is to, yeah, compress the inside rib cage, but expand the outside rib cage. And there, I compare that to a human standing on their own two feet and, you know, bending laterally to the side in order you, you can compress your inside rib cage down towards your inside hip and stay relatively short through your outside rib cage to outside hip, or you can open up that outside and get a good stretch. Both are valuable. And for horses, bend, thinking of bend in both of those ways, it, it, there's a time and a place for it. Now let's talk about how one actually achieves that bend. Yeah, the inside leg goes on. And I personally think about using the boning of my boot or the tip of my spur. This is why I don't tend to ride in very sharp spurs because I need to be able to sort of hook that more precise pressure low on the horse's abdomen and draw my heel up. Draw my heel up and let that be sort of the, the point around which my horse bends. But that's not the only thing I'm doing. My outside leg is a presence in this story. My outside leg is slightly, slightly, slightly behind my inside leg. And it is present in what I call a guarding position, a guarding leg. It's not like I'm on gripping, telling my horse something. It's simply present like a bumper in a bowling alley. The bumper in a bowling alley doesn't guarantee you a strike. It just prevents you from falling in the gutter. Especially with performance horses, flies can really be a nuisance. Fly predators are a great investment of all the different poisons and insecticides and different things you could use. I don't know of anything that is more economical and more effective than spalding fly predators. Going over a bridge in a competition setting is essentially changing the footing. It's what's underfoot. There's not really a bridge there. It's a, you know, it's slats or a piece of wood or something. So I might go out to my arena and I have a big bucket of old Dennis, dead tennis balls that I got from a tennis center, big five gallon bucket. I'm going to toss those in the ground. Well, the horse is going to look at those. Well, I'm going to practice trotting through them, walking through them, changing gates through them so that the horse, despite the fact that they, that what is underfoot is changing, is still able to focus on my forward aids. Then I might take... What a cool idea. And I can take a big plastic bag full of empty water bottles because they're everywhere, put them on the ground, and then put the... And kind of a lane. And then I might have the tennis balls. And then I might have a tarp. And I'm going to create myself a lane of continuously changing footing. Uh, The footing might be straw scattered on the ground because that's not something he sees every day and get my horse to the point where he can completely and utterly focus on all of my aids 
I can trot three steps, come to a walk, walk again, trot three steps. And that way he, he learns to be cognizant of what's underfoot. It might even be, I have a bunch of old soccer cones that I throw on the ground and we trod through those while things are changing. Okay. Now, typically at my competition, the bridges have sides on them. Well, I might use some tall cones with, um, plastic surveyor's tape stretched across the top to mimic that let him figure that out so it's and change it every other ride or every two or three rides as soon as the horse gets to the point where he's going i can do this without even thinking change it up a little bit so he's constantly being challenged a little bit and that might help get him through not being able to focus on your forward aids yeah, great idea. And actually, it's um, it reminds me of a story I was writing with Craig Johnson, and he was telling me uh, about a clinic. I think it was with Ray Hunt, who, if you're not familiar with him, he's like the godfather of the whole natural horsemanship movement. Um, really interesting individual. And um, they were he uh, Craig was saying that this uh, Ray Hunt was teaching a clinic and there was this guy who showed up there and he said, well, my horse isn't stopping good. You know, he's not doing the sliding stop he's supposed to. And the guy just kept running him back and forth and trying to pull on him to get him to stop because the stop is broken. Right. So you're going to work on a hundred stops until the horse gets better. Well, it's just getting him nowhere. And so Ray threw a tarp down in the middle of the arena and he says, just see if you can get him to cross that. And this guy's kind of like, you know, what the heck? I, I told you it's my stop. It's not my tarp. I don't have a tarp problem. Um, but he humored him and tried to get the horse to cross the tarp. And the horse, uh, you know, boogered at it and didn't want to cross and going sideways and this and that and the other. And so he just kept working on it and working on it and working on it until the horse would cross confidently. And then pretty soon he could get the horse to canter straight line and just cross the tarp like it was nothing. Um, and the horse could go back and forth in this beautiful straight line cantering across this tarp. So once he'd gotten through all that with the horse, then Ray's like, okay, now run him down there and ask him to stop. And this horse just did the most beautiful balanced sliding stop ever. And so what that highlighted was your problem isn't really the problem. It's a symptom. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1474, brought to you today by Equiotic. This time, Dr. Camargo explains what stocking up is and what you should do about it. Today's episode is brought to you, as I said, by Equiotic. So let's talk probiotics for just a moment. Bluegrass Animal Products Equiotic Supplement is a live daily probiotic supplement for your horse. Equiotic is the only probiotic sourced from horses' good gut bacteria. This allows the good bacteria to survive in the GI tract. Clever, eh? Veterinarian developed and recommended, Equiotic is trusted by horse professionals to keep their horses feeling their best. From the top competition horses to backyard companions, Equiotic can help to keep your horse's sensitive GI tract feeling good. To learn more or to order, you can go to bluegrassanimalproducts.com. You can use the coupon code HRN for 15% off Equiotic packets and paste. That's 15% off by using the coupon code HRN at bluegrassanimalproducts.com. And by the way, more cleverness. 
Equiotic is also available at many retailers, including SmartPak and Chewy. But the coupon code HRN for 15% off is only available at BluegrassAnimalProducts.com. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show Dr. Camargo, who is here to to assuage our concerns and clear up all the confusion about stocking up. And this was inspired because my horse had to spend a little bit of time in his stall a few weeks back when we had a hurricane roll, hurricane roll through town. And of course he stocks up when he's standing in his stall and it always makes me chew my fingernails. So Dr. Camargo, can you please (laughs) help? What is stocking up? What is going on? I know. Right. So stocking up is, you know, it happens in humans also when we travel long, long distances and we're just sitting down in the car and literally gravity because we're sitting and we're, you know, we're not moving around and the circulation is, you know, kind of stopped or decreased a lot. And then our feet also swell up. So that's what stocking up is. It's this um, pooling of lymph. Okay, so lymph is this fluid that travels inside uh, the lymphatic system, and it's pulling off this lymph, and generally in horses would be, you know, in the legs, so the lower uh, extremities of the horse because of gravity. So that's what stocking up in the most, you know, simple form is. So why is it that some horses stock up, and under the same, what seem to be the same circumstances, other horses don't. I know, I know. And this is something that, you know, it varies by individual, it varies by a lot of things. It varies by age. It varies by individual also. But generally speaking, horses that spend a long time in the stall and are used to staying in the stall and may move around a little bit, they generally don't stock up much. Horses that are outside most of the time and never or very seldom come to the stall, or maybe they come to the stall just for a few hours every day, those are the ones that generally stock up because they're not used to. Their, their bodies, uh, you know, like their bodies are used to moving, and this movement helps move the blood around and the lymph around the entire body. Every time a horse, you know, steps, you know, down, so every time that foot lands on the digital cushions inside the hoof wall of the horse helps pump all these fluids up the leg and up the leg, up the leg to go back into the circulation. So when horses are out and about, they are moving around. And, you know, generally we say that the horses, the horses have five hearts, right? The heart and then each foot is a heart because it helps pump and move this blood. And then you get this guy and put him in a stall and he's not used to this, right? His body hasn't adapted to being in a stall. And now you see his legs are going to become swollen. Um, and that generally happens in the hind legs, but it can also happen on four legs. But if it's just stocking up, um, it shouldn't feel warm to the touch, right? Because when we see a, a swollen leg, it can also be many other different things too. But if it's simple stocking up, you put your horse in yesterday, he was healthy, and then you see him today and his generally hind legs are puffy. And that's, you know, what stocking up would be. So your horse stocks up, makes us chew our fingernails and worry. And who needs more worry as a horse person, right? Is there, should we wrap their, the go-to, I guess, for a lot of people is, is, should we wrap their legs? Is that good? Should we just let them get puffy? <laughs> so, yeah. So that's all, um, you know, these are all good questions. 
I think the first thing that we need to figure out is, is this literally just stocking up? So then first, you need to um, rule out any other kinds uh, of, you know, problems that can be. For example, if your horse comes in from the outside and his leg is already swollen, that's most likely not stocking up. So also you touch the leg and make sure that the leg, if it's stocking up, the leg should just be cold to the touch, should not be warm, should not be hot. If it's some sort of infection like cellulitis or the horse tweaked his leg outside and you have now, you know, some sort of tendonitis, uh, it would be warm to the touch and also painful, right? So that, so after you rule those out and now you're like, okay, it's stocking up, it's all that I have. Uh, so then what you can do is you can wrap, you can use uh, standing wraps, um, you know, if you know your horse is the candidate for stocking up because you know your horse, you've had him for a long time, you can use standing wraps uh, every time that he comes to the stall, uh, if he's going to be there for long periods of time. Uh, you can use, um, I, 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 for my horse, I have um, compression bandages. So these are compression socks, and the ones that I have come from Canada, and they are fabulous, and these are just socks that you, they're very elastic, easy to apply, um, not that easy because they're so compress, compressive that you have to, like, it's a workout to actually apply. But uh, it's more foolproof than uh, bandaging because the problem with bandaging the leg, if you don't do it right, you know, and you put too much pressure on the bandage or your quilt or your pillow, you know, if you don't apply that correct, you can actually cause problems to the horse's leg, right? So I, and there is several brands of compression bandages or compression socks uh, in the market today, and I am a big fan um, of those. So yeah, so you could bandage the horse's leg or put a sock, uh, compression sock, and, uh, but generally speaking, these are 12 hours on, 12 hours off because otherwise the body just gets used to just, you know, having that, um, you know, crutch for, you know, for the circulation. And then we may have a problem in that uh, we can have rebound, right? Stocking up. And then all of a sudden this horse is stocking up at other times too, because, you know, all of a sudden the bandage is not there anymore and the body got lazy and uh, got too used to the bandage. So we see uh, this also. So it's generally 12 hours on when you put the horse out, he doesn't need his leg bandaged because as he moves around, that fluid should go back into circulation. So are there any circumstances under which we see stocking up that that is the sign of some other more serious problem going on? And how can we tell the difference? Uh, well, there can be that too. So, well, one of them, for example, horses, older horses um, can, you know, they have a, a, you know, their bodies have worked a lot already and their circulatory system is not as efficient and not as effective as a younger horse. So those ones may stock up and you see these horses uh, and they can be even stocking up outside um, because they don't move around as much also. So we're talking about your geriatric horses here. Uh, and those, the problem with, um, you know, like horses like that, and they're lo- stocked up pretty much a lot, you have to just pay attention that it doesn't develop into a lymphangitis because that fluid in the leg may just turn into, you know, it's just a pool of fluid that shouldn't be there because they should be inside vessels, right? The lymphatic vessels or even the blood vessels. And it can 
turn into a cellulitis or a lymphangitis and, you know, it, it can turn into that. But, uh, so I would be worried a little bit about that. But diseases that can lead uh, to swelling in the legs, uh, there is a couple. So, for example, a horse that's having some sort of heart failure, uh, he, you know, the heart doesn't pump uh, this blood as well. And, you know, the, the circulatory system and the lymphatic system, they go hand in hand. Uh, and when the heart is not pumping uh, this blood well, the fluid that extravasates from the blood vessels, they just pull and the lymphatics are not uh, as efficient into grabbing those and taking them back up. So, um, so a horse that is, you know, in the beginning of heart failure can uh, do that, but generally you would see other, you know, problems too, such as uh, exercise intolerance. He may have swelling also in the, his lower abdomen, in his prepuce. So you would see those kinds of swelling too. And then another disease um, that can lead to stocking up, and that's a more, you know, um, a bigger problem than just stocking up, would be um, some sort of like liver disease. Uh, as the liver uh, doesn't produce a lot of protein, so the blood and the fluid to stay inside the vessels, we need what we call colloidal pressure, which is all this protein and all these uh, solutes inside the blood keep that fluid, okay, plasma, and keep that fluid inside this blood vessel. When you have low protein inside this blood vessel, the water movement inside the body is by um, osmosis. So then something outside the vessel all of a sudden be- draws the water out of this vessel. And that's why, you know, uh, you know, nutrition plays a big role in this horse. If they are not eating enough protein or if their liver uh, is failing and the liver is not producing enough protein to keep the colloidal pressure, that also can lead, uh, you know, to, to edema in the lower legs too. And in this case, uh, for liver failure, you can also see like a bigger abdomen. You're going to have uh, what we call ascites because this liquid also extravasates inside the abdomen. Uh, so those would be, you know, three um, cases of horses that would, uh, you know, the aging, the heart failure, the liver um, disease could could lead to stocking up, and those you would have to involve a veterinarian. So, when a horse develops a fever for whatever reason, is that is the? I often see horses stock up when they've got a really high fever for a period of time. Is that a result of the fact that the horse has a really high fever, so he's not moving around? Is it because there's some compromise in his? circulatory system? Why do, why do I see that so much? So it can be uh, that the horse is not moving around, but it also, one, I, I neglected to mention that dehydration can also lead uh, to stocking up because again, if you don't have, you know, for the, for, the, for the blood to maintain its colloidal pressure and to maintain its blood pressure, you need this fluid in and you need this salt inside these blood vessels and you need all this so the liquid stays inside the, the, the blood vessels and the lymphatic vessels. When, you, when the animal has fever, he may not be drinking um, a lot, so he's not drinking water, he's also not moving around, and that can lead to stocking up too because you would think, right, it would be the, the, the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but he can, yeah, right, but because he's not ingesting the salt, you know, the, and he's, you know, he has urinated, uh, so now, uh, this liquid extravasates uh, from the, the vessels and they just fall in the lower legs. So, yes. So, 
if your horse obviously has fever, you have to be contacting your veterinarian also to figure out what's going on, right? Because a horse with fever, uh, it's something that we don't like as, you know, it can have so many other uh, problems with the horse, such as, you know, when they start not drinking water, not eating well, because they're so listless and so, you know, ill, they feel ill, uh, any kind uh, of disease like that can lead you know, to other problems, um, you know, such as the horse developing laminitis or even becoming, you know, toxic, uh, endotoxemia because of, and so fever is just a symptom, right? So we need to investigate why the horse has that fever going on. So that all of a sudden became, you know, kind of an emergency. There we go. So that's the, the 101, the basics of why horses stock up. And what we need to be worried about, because there's always something to be worried about with a horse. So for <laughs> folks who are curious about what, der, what Dr. Camargo does in her amazing life as a veterinarian, she is with the University of Kentucky. So if you just go to uky.edu, you can look her up, Dr. Camargo. And thanks for spending a little time with me today. Dressage Radio Show co-hosts Reese Kofler-Stanfield and Philip Parks are joined by Dr. Holland for a chat about how a prickly alternative therapy can benefit horses who are actively competing. And we'll get right to our tip after these words from our sponsor. Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at feedsentinel.com. Well, tonight I am so happy to have Dr. Carol Holland from Wellington, Florida. She has been my my acupuncturist, chiropractor, veterinarian, support person for many years, and we're thrilled to have her on the program. Welcome back, Dr. Holland. Thank you, and thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. Well, we <laughs> always love you. Came to visit me and my horses yesterday. Uh, it's always what we actually saw each other in the public. Public's parking lot, which is kind of how <laughs> business is done in Wellington. And I like waved you down. I'm like, I need an appointment as soon as possible. So it was so fun. So we got to have you come yesterday and check my kiddos, which you've, you know, been part of my team for many years. And, you know, you know my horses and that's, it's so important. Um, but you have a wonderful topic that you've been discussing um, this summer. And so I wanted to hand the mic to you about, about your topic and uh, what we're talking about tonight. Super, yeah, and um, and thank you again. And I just wanted to tell you that um, I have spent a lot of time in recent years because of my um, training in acupuncture and, and doing um, chiropractic and uh, sports medicine work, and spent a lot of time going to the actual horse shows with my clients. It's given me a new perspective to do that. And this summer, I spent a lot of time doing that. So um, I was asked to give a speech on uh, pain and therapy and the competition athlete because. A lot of people don't know and haven't taken a good look at or, or used the benefit of how you can work on a horse during a competition, even the FEI competition or CDIs, because it is allowed under the rules. And also, a lot of horses get stressed out um, during the competition. So acupuncture is amazing during the competition and um, the, because the number one benefit of acupuncture is for pain relief. And then also, because of the pain relief, and the way that acupuncture works, 
it releases endorphins. And I think I've mentioned that during one of your talks already that people have, have mm-hmm. been following you for a while. Remember that. So the huge benefit of acupuncture is um, the endorphin release. And what horse that goes to a horse show that gets on a trailer, that gets tacked up, new tack or fun tack or stress of the owner, which transmits to the horses, going to a stall, all these crazy horses around them that are scared to, that doesn't always have some sort of stress in their life. And to get acupuncture treatment during the competition, it's it's so beneficial because the endorphin release will help them calm down plus give them some pain relief. All the shows always, you know, affect digestion because maybe the horse doesn't want to eat because its neighbor is screaming. You know, the horse neighbor is screaming. The stalls are small. Um, they get stiff from the trailer ride. So, again, you can just put the wheel on and start rolling ideas of, of what will cause a horse to be upset at a horse show if they're not used to it or even if they are used to it. So that's why I wanted to bring up the topic that, you know, it's beneficial during competition. And a lot of people still, have, you know, haven't taken uh, advantage of this. So you can do it during an FEI competition if no one knew. It is allowed. The only part that's not allowed is to use an electro machine with the actual acupuncture. So you can use dry needles. Um, You cannot inject a substance into a horse. So the main thing you can do is use dry needles during the treatment. Chiropractic or body work is also allowed during an FEI competition and certainly during um, USEF competitions, which are called national shows or national competitions. And this is worldwide. This isn't just um, in America. Like anywhere you go and any country during a national competition or during FEI, you can use this therapy. And the main thing you have to do is understand the need of the owner or the trainer or the rider, whichever one or the combination, if it's an owner, trainer, rider, and you have to understand exactly what that horse needs. And certainly um, that's understanding acupuncture. So for instance, um, I have a lot of people that call me and say, hey, my horse is upset and he doesn't calm down. So then I would use acupuncture for calming during the competition or um, during the competition, a horse, uh, an owner may say, oh, my horse tripped getting off the trailer and he's really tight in his neck. So I would go for that specific reason, you know, during the competition. And so you have to get a, a reason and have to understand, you know, the owner. So I always make that as a stress to my owners. And I would like to put that out there for all the owners listening that the communication between your acupuncture vet or your, your therapist vet during the competition is, is the most important thing because there's so many opportunities with acupuncture that you can do during the competition to help out. And, um, and the rules are it can be done the day of, um, and then you have to always check with the FEI delegate that that delegates there and if, you know, so that they know and your veterinarian should know that because we have rules on how we have to do it. But once the vet is accepted into the FEI uh, enclosure, it can be done. And then if you're at a national show and you show up, then um, the rules are, you know, whatever the the competition rules are for that showgrounds, you know, for veterinarians coming on the showgrounds. The, the veterinarian should know those rules. One of the other things that I have found for acupuncture um, after the competition is some people don't know, like if you ship out and you have a horse show the next week, and your horse is like competing weekly or say a lot of um, horses have to come back or they compete again in two weeks. You know, they're trying to qualify for something and you're like, okay, I've got the next three weeks I have to show, which sometimes people give a break, sometimes not. 
Um, it's super important to check them within, I think, 24 hours after a competition. And that can be done, too, because horses are extremely tired, just like you would be if you ran a marathon every day or you ran a 10K every day. And you had to go to work every single day and do that. So um, the acupuncture can help for the pain and the sore muscles. Um, proactive therapy is what I call post-competition therapy. And when you use that for proactive for the next week, your horse is already set up for endorphin release to be calm going into the next show or just during your training for the next week. So um, for me, I sort of developed a plan with the athletes that I work with, the uh, their owners of the athletes that I work with, the equine athlete, mm-hmm. and say, look, you know, I think specifically this horse really needs post-competition therapy. This horse does really well for during the competition therapy. And, you know, we develop a plan based on an individual basis. I was just going to interject my own perspectives on this is, is just that pre-competition or, you know, Setting up because I have a chiropractor slash acupuncturist veterinarian that that treats our horses, and uh, I mean I, I see an acupuncturist, and, and I think you know you it's hard to just call someone and say I might a show let's let's do some acupuncture where you know whereas like okay now how's the veterinarian supposed to do a, a full kind of assessment, workup, discuss all the issues at a competition. I think you should, like, if you're thinking about acupuncture for your horse or any any sort of treatment, you should be doing it, you know, early, pre, you know, thinking thinking about, like, at this point in time, you know, for us in Canada, it's like, okay, we're a few months away from our first show, our first competition. Maybe I'd like to uh, involve an acupuncturist, chiropractic adjusting for the horse. So, Let's think early. Let's not get halfway into a, a competition season and then start to throw things at the horse and, and you know, and, and more and more therapies. Um, I think you have to prepare the practitioner and you have to prepare yourself and you have to prepare the horse to be doing these things um, pr- prior to the first to the first show. I, I 100% agree. And and when um, my clients and owners, when they are um, do that. It makes my life very easy, and it makes it very easy for me as a therapist to come in, and then I know the horse, and that's 100% perfect so that if a, a problem during the competition arises, I already know the horse, and I know that if you called me and I'd been seeing you for three or four months, and you called and said, there's something not right, and you can come check it, and you know the horse, and so that's the perfect scenario but letting you know during the competition, I mean, you, you, what you're saying is you already know the horse and there's not going to be some huge project to get um, taken care of. Well, and you have um, a baseline to that. say, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Have, yeah. In any sort of uh, veterinarian work, you have to have a baseline uh, of the, of the patient, right? Because it's hard to determine is, you know, a bit of a, a sore muscle or is this a regular thing? Is this, a new thing is—is is this what I'm? I need to treat right now, or is that you know, is it ongoing, or is it an, an acute injury? Like this is this is why the the veterinarians have such a, a hard time because you know there's there's not really a baseline when somebody has a horse and then they just call someone out and, and it's like okay you know oh I, I think I think he pulled a muscle or I think he you know uh, well there's 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 no baseline. It's already too late. Right. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, every horse has stuff just like in x-rays or, or whatever, like you, you've got to kind of 
work with someone, you know, when, when the horse is feeling good, I think. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, sort of a, a crazy concept, but, um, it's not crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's you don't not, go to the doctor also, if, if you're feeling great. And, and like only, yeah. when you, only when you are like, Oh, I can't move this arm or, or whatever that now I need <laughs> to see a doctor. Well, it's, 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 it's difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah. Well, and I think mm-hmm, too, like working with, you know, Dr. Holland and, and, you know, we have a plan and I think that that's so important so that if something goes awry, which it does, uh, hopefully it doesn't, but, and you plan for it not to, but if it does, then there is a, you, you have a baseline, but I think it's so important to have that team, especially when those horses are competing at the international level. And, you know, here in Florida now it's, it's go time. And, and it's, it is. And, and a lot of times, you know, even the riders, you don't all feel great. Uh, but if you are constantly working with someone and, you know, it's also, it's, it's a nice break for the horses too. Like if you've been in an FEI stabling, it is, you can only get in there with credentials and they are pretty strict here. You just can't walk in there. Very yeah. Very, which is good because it is quiet back there. And, and we like that. And, and that way that you do have a chance you can have the horses can have their appointment. They can rest, they can have the therapies that they need. Um, and so it is really important to have that if you're competing internationally and Dr. Holland will travel with horses. She knows them different countries. You know, there's, there's so many different challenges that these horses face. Um, so having a team that comes, but that really can come just at any level, right? Dr. Holland, you see all my horses. You don't just see the mm-hmm. FEI ones. You see everybody. And and we have yeah. challenges with each one of them. And, you know, we, we move barns and we do things like that. And and we try to keep it as, as easy and, and, and safe and positive as we can, but sometimes it's not. And and so I think that's why having a vet and having the team with you is is so very important. So Dr. Holland, I think it's such a great topic, and I do think it's important that people know that you can treat at a horse show. You have to do it appropriately. You have to do it with vets that know the rules um, because you don't want to get caught on a rule that, that something was injected or, or whatever. But it is important to know that there are vets out there that want to help you. They want to, you know, obviously the the horse's best interest is always highest importance. But um, within that, the vets are there to help you and your horse. And and Dr. Holland is, is phenomenal at that. So, um, Carol, anything else that you want to kind of end with tonight? No, um, I think all these points that you guys made, and I love the fact that the team approached before, I think that's, that's like the best thing I've heard in a long time. And and thank you for um, the compliments. And um, I, I just really appreciate it. But um, I like that, that team idea. So thank you. And How can our listeners find you online? They can find me online at naturalvettv.com. Dot com and PB stands for Palm Beach, but it's um, it's all one word. So naturalvetpb.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much as always. Well, there you have it. Horse Radio Network has thousands of engaging podcasts for horse people, and you can have them sent right to your phone. Just subscribe via your favorite podcast player. This is Coach Jen, and I will be back again soon with another tip. Until then... Go ride your horse. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements made by guests on the Horse Tip Daily. Please use your own judgment when listening to the tips on this show.